You welcome to Hebron Gospel Service tonight. A few minutes late getting started, but it's good to be here, good to be in God's house, and it's good to have the congregation listening with us on the internet. We're going to have an opening praise. It's the hymn 382. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious? Oh, how blessed to call him mine. Think of the words as our sisters play them on the piano and organ, and let's worship God together.
Let us bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your house tonight in the precious and the worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come on the Sabbath day to the gospel service, and our desire, first and foremost, is to meet with the Lord. We thank thee that thou hast promised to be where your people gather. Even where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, thou hast promised to be in the midst of that company. We're met together in this period of lockdown, some at home, some perhaps sitting elsewhere through the country, few of us here in the church, and Lord, we pray that you will abide with us. We want the presence of God more than anything else. And we want help tonight, even with the, the broadcast, as it goes out live on Sermon Audio and Facebook. We want the Lord to be in it, we want the Lord to help us. And so we cry to thee for a drawing near of the Lord himself to be in every part of this meeting tonight. Help your servants who do the broadcast. Remember our sisters and the piano and the organ. These hymns, Lord, that we meditate upon as we look at the video, as we look at the, the slides tonight and see the verses of the hymn. We've already seen how Jesus Christ is everything to his people. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. Thank thee for the wonderful redemption that we've been singing about. We thank thee, Lord, for the blood of the Savior shed on the cross of Calvary, shed for rebels, shed for sinners, and we can say shed for me. Thank thee for a personal saving relationship with the dear Son of God for that moment when we were saved, put into Christ, when the condemnation was removed, our sins forgiven, we received pardon from God, all for the sake of his Son and what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary for us. We pray as we make known the glad tidings of great joy that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer and Savior of men, that you will draw graciously near to each one who will listen to this service, that you will speak with that voice that wakes the dead and makes sinners hear, that you will open eyes and ears and hearts to understand divine truth. We pray for conversions tonight, that sinners will be enlightened and brought to Christ savingly in the gospel. Lord, do you remember the afflicted ones, some in our own congregation who are sick and laid aside, others who are sorrowing this day because loved ones have been taken from this scene of time. We pray that thou will be a double portion to them, that thou will bear them up in your arms of love and grace. May your presence be known and felt and experienced. We pray that the Lord, in the wonder of his presence, will draw near to each sorrowing heart. Again, we pray for Raymond Semple in hospital tonight, that you will be with him and that you will bring him to recovery. Lord, you're able to do these things. We know that nothing is impossible with God. And Lord, all these things we pray according to your will and for your glory, that the end result will magnify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, whom we serve. For Jesus' sake, amen and amen. I want to bid you welcome at this part of the service tonight in the Savior's name. If you have managed to uh, get online to Sermon Audio or Facebook, uh, we welcome you. We've had some technical difficulties today, and hopefully over the next few days and weeks that will all be ironed out, as they say. Thursday night is the midweek service at 8 o'clock, and we'll be preaching online. Friday night is the Youth Fellowship, and this is the final one of the year. 
and uh, it's a special Christmas quiz and fellowship time for the youth. On Saturday, there's a wedding taking place at 12 noon. Get, the, uh, get it right. Parents of Charlotte are here tonight. They're all excited about Saturday, as you would expect. So Reuben and Charlotte are coming together in married life, and the Hebron Church wants to uh, wish them God's blessing as they are married. Trust they have a good day and know the abiding presence of the Savior. Then on the Sabbath day, the Bible class is at a quarter to 11. Christ before the manger is the subject of this month. Uh, remember Mervyn as he brings these messages by Zoom. Returning in the will of God to public worship after lockdown is next Lord's Day. The service is 12 noon and 7 p.m. We trust that many of you will be able to come and join with us. Uh, do remember that we have all the social distancing rules and regulations in place here, and we will be making God's house as safe as possible for all worshippers who come. Again, we thank you for your tithes and offerings, your giving to God's work. We want also at this moment to give our sympathy again to Ines, Ines Atkinson, whose mother passed away, and to the family circle, we assure them of their prayers, our prayers at this time, that the Lord will support them in their grief. I want also to congratulate Daniel Glenn. Uh, I see through the grapevine that, that he has had a, a birthday recently, and he's now two decades old. He's reached that figure that's significant of 20. And uh, when you get to 20, the years just keep piling on and going on and on until you get as old as those around me, like Philip Calderwood there uh, and the rest. Prayer cards are available and they will be available to you next week uh, for the Reverend Philip Gardner. He serves the Lord in Australia. He didn't get all his deputation meetings done, but these cards are available for you to take home and pray for the Lord's servant. We've been very excited about what the Lord's been doing in these recent days in Romania. These boxes that have been sent out, they arrive safely on Friday, and the distribution will take place this week to the school, and then also here, uh, these additional boxes that went to Moldovanoa, to the Christian school there, and for the Roma children. They also arrived on Friday, and distribution will take place this week. The container that sat for many months in the church car park, filled with many, many items that will be helpful to the poor families of Romania, arrived in Timisoara on Wednesday. And there it's there arriving. The crane comes in to lift it off, bring it over the fence into safety, and distribution of the items will be made over the next number of months. There's a gypsy family, or a pastor rather, that we know in a little place called Tinka that we have visited a few times and we were able to send over some finance to help with poor families. And this is the distribution of the, the food to these needy families. Remember, visiting places just like this, homes just like this where the, the people lived. I want to thank uh, the congregation who rises to the occasion from time to time and contributes to these things. I think that's sacks of potatoes. Uh, so those that are sitting in the church building, you're all in the dark here. Only for social distancing, I would ask you up. You could stand and, and look at what I'm looking at here. But these are potatoes and bags of food at the front of the church. 
and they were distributed to uh, the people who received them gladly. The opportunity to preach yesterday to the children and the ladies in Tharatara Center uh, was yesterday morning. It was the afternoon, their time, right enough, the five-hour difference between us and Pakistan. And the children received these little gifts. We were able to send a little bit of money out, and uh, I see from the picture that they have some chocolate and a little drink. And you can see the joy on their faces just to get these things uh, as we think about them at this Christmas time. With the opportunity to preach the Word, and if you, you're not going to be able to hear this, but if you could hear it, uh, the congregation are quoting in the Urdu language, which is the Pakistani language, John chapter 3 and verse 16. I didn't understand it either, but it was lovely to hear nonetheless. The sewing ministry continues, and here's some of the ladies, and they're busy at work. We had the opportunity to preach this morning in a tribal area of Pakistan. Appreciate those that were praying for us as the word of the Lord went out and the gospel was presented to this congregation. It's lovely to see them sitting up, listening, men, women, and children who came. And then after the service, they, they got fed. I can't remember this dish. It's, it's a wee bit different than what they gave them last week, uh, but they were happy. Over in Uganda, at Emmanuel Christian School, uh, they're harvesting home produce here. So you can see this young fella hard at work as part of what they're doing uh, in the land adjacent to them. They're growing food and bringing in the harvest. And then sitting in the straw here, these boys are taking a rest. Congregation is back, worshiping God. You see how they are social distancing even there at Emmanuel. But we thank God that the, the church has opened and they don't have a man. We were praying this morning for a man to go there to preach the word. You might not just be able to see it on the large uh, screen there in the center of the church, but I think that's the Reverend Gordon Ferguson who has been preached. Shakes the vast creation round. How the summons will the sinner's heart confound. And you want to again think of the words. We're doing this so that you can hear the music and you can look at your screen at home, follow the words of what we're uh, singing tonight, and ponder over what God is saying to us even in this time of hymn singing. Thank you.
you to Anne and Elaine and Philip, who's here to encourage us. My wife knew that Elaine was playing this morning because she said she saw your feet. <laughs> Amen. We're turning in the Word of God to Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16, the first 16 verses of the chapter. Genesis chapter 19. Let's hear the Word of God. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing." For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will, he deal, will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them, and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place." because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. We're ending our reading there at verse 16. Let's unite in prayer. Father, we've opened thy word and we've read these verses, verses that make us sit up 
and tremble as we think of the judgment of God that fell upon the cities of the plain way back those many centuries ago. And yet we are reminded that there is coming a greater destruction, a time when God will pour His wrath and fury upon this world, a time when men indeed will be cast into everlasting burnings forever and ever and ever, where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. We pray that thou wilt help us to listen, to give our hearts to your word, and give us understanding in our minds. And may there be drawing power this night to bring sinners to Christ. And may your people be challenged and blessed. Lord, speak to me even as I preach the word. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me and fall afresh on the congregation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Putting a title on this message tonight, I have given this title, Have You Anyone Else Here? And we're taking for our text verse 12. The men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. But particularly that question, hast thou here any besides? And just putting it into a title, have you anyone else? Now the history of this chapter is one of the darkest and the most depraved that we have anywhere in the Bible. In fact, any in any period of history. We are brought to the city of Sodom where the practices of that place were so wicked and detestable that God purposed to destroy it along with the other cities of the plain, which had given themselves over to the vile, uh, debased practices of homosexuality. Unless anyone should think otherwise in this end time, when evil is called good, and good is called evil. Let me remind you that this sin of sodomy is one of the vilest and the most despicable in the sight of God. God's unchanging truth declares, and I'm reading here from the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Both the Old Testament Scriptures, I'm thinking of Leviticus 18 and 22 and chapter 20 and verse 13, where the word abomination is used, and also this passage in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, condemn homosexual conduct. You know the story and the background to this passage, which began in the sad division of a family back in chapter 13, where Lot lifted up 
his eyes beheld the plains of Jordan, and Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And then we go on to read how Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. And you see the progression here, the lifting up of the eyes to see the better, the better land, and then the choice that is made in the mind and the heart, and then the journey that is undertaken uh, by Lot and his family as they move in that direction and they get nearer to Sodom, they pitch their tent toward that place. It is at this moment that the Holy Spirit inserts a little commentary describing the practices and the culture of Sodom. But the men of that city were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And you want to pause here, and you want to think about what's happening in this story. As Lot takes his journey towards this city, pitches his tent toward the city, and the Lord tells us how wicked and how sinful this city was. What decision would you make in the light of that knowledge? Would you go there? Would you travel in that direction? Would you take your family there? Would you pitch your tent towards that place? What did Lot do? Well, my friends, he brought his family to live in this city. And we go on to read in verse 14 that Lot dwelt in Sodom. This is where sinful appetite and greed and desire eventually brings a man, aye, even a man of God. And by the time we get to chapter 19, Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. There's a steady progression of compromise here in Lot's life. He went from looking towards the plains of Jordan to pitching his tent toward the city of Sodom to actually going and living in that city, to sitting in the gates of that place. And then we go on to read about him losing everything when Sodom was attacked. Now, sitting in the gates of a city indicates that he was a civic leader. The gate area of ancient cities was a sort of a, a town hall where the important men of the city judged disputes and where they would sit to confer with one another. Lot himself was a righteous man. He was grieved, and the Bible tells us that he was grieved by the sin that he saw around him. We read about that in Second Peter in the New Testament, Second Peter chapter 2 and verses 7 and 8. But because of his deep compromise with the world, few of his family and none of his friends were saved. Compromise destroys a person's testimony. When he sought to persuade his sons-in-law to escape the terrible and the impending overthrow of the city, he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They would not believe what he had to say. What testimony did he have? Well, we have to say very little. Three visitors came to Abraham's home in chapter 18. Two angels and the Lord God himself. They came to reiterate the promise of a son, namely Isaac, who would be born to Baron Sarah in the near future. 
the two angels looked toward Sodom and would soon go to that city and they would meet with Lot. Abraham is standing before the Lord. Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? The question is posed by the Lord, a reference to the destruction of Sodom. I'm going to destroy Sodom. I'm going to destroy these cities in the plain. Shall I hide it from Abraham? Off the angels go to the wicked city, but Abraham continues to stand before the Lord. The Bible says that he stood yet before the Lord. He now enters into his great prayer of intercession, knowing that Lot was in the city, knowing that God was going to destroy the city. Abraham now begins to plead with God for the sparing of that place, a prayer indeed that was answered because God said, if there's 10 righteous people in the city, I will spare it. So he gave his consent to that. But sadly, there were not even 10 righteous people to be found within the gates of that city. Though Sodom was not spared, yet Abraham's prayer was very powerful for his family because in chapter 19 and verse 29, when the cities of the plain were uh, going to be destroyed, we're told God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. God remembered Abraham, remembered his intercessory prayer the night before. Abraham, very conscious that down in that city that's just about to be destroyed, I have family living there, Lot and, and the other members of his household, the servants and so forth. And God remembered the intercessory prayers of Abraham and he sent Lot out of the overthrow. The history of the angel's visit to Sodom and particularly to Lot's house makes sad and shocking reading. You'll note here in our text in verse 12, there's a question, there's an exhortation, and there's also a, a prediction. There's a question, which is our text, Hast thou here any besides? There's an exhortation to get out of the city, to bring the family out of the city. And there is a prediction, really, that the city would be destroyed. And we go on to read that in verse 13. And destroy the city, these angels would. And what a fearful destruction it was. There is coming a day of greater destruction in this old world of sin. A destruction that is actually pictured in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the overthrow of this city. And it is Jude that speaks about it in Jude verse 7, the picture that we have here. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's a picture. Here is an example of what God is going to do. Only this time it is eternal fire. Sodom was localized. It was just that one little area of the land. Sodom was physical. It was a physical overthrow 
with undoubtedly eternal implications because the people, the wicked people of that city died in their sin. And even though the overthrow was physical on earth, out they went into eternity, into something that was eternal forever and ever. And of course, this uh, city and this destruction was unavoidable. And we have to say horrendous. As I thought about the eternal destruction facing the inhabitants of this earth, I was greatly struck by the little phrase, Hast thou here any besides? Spurgeon saw something instructive in the angel's question. This question shows the concern we should have for the salvation of not only ourselves, but our whole house. And I want to ask this question tonight in this gospel service. Hast thou here any besides? Now, there's much more to ponder and discuss in this chapter that I just don't have time to go into tonight. But we do have the perverse depravity and carnality of men who wish to abuse and rape the male visitors who had come to Lot's home. We have the unjustifiable and horrible bargaining of Lot who proposed to give his two daughters to these violent and depraved men to abuse them instead of the men. We know the protection that was offered to visitors. It was a sacred thing, but not at this expense. I'm shocked at the depravity of the men of Sodom, but I'm equally shocked at the suggestion of Lot to give his daughters to the mob. We have also here the merciful escape from Sodom by Lot and his daughters. We have the sudden destruction of Lot's wife. She was just a professor of religion. She was just one who had a lean-to religion. She was never truly converted, and she died in the overthrow. We have Abraham's learning of Sodom's destruction, but the amazing answer to his prayerful entreaty and how his nephew was delivered we have Lot and his daughters living in a wilderness cave for a period of time. And then, of course, we have Moab and Ammon coming from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And these are all subjects worthy of consideration. And there's much teaching here, but for another time. There is a pressing question on my mind and heart just now. Have you anyone else here? And the thought is taken from our text in verse 12. Hast thou here any besides? I want you to notice just three very simple things. First of all, I believe we can deduce from this text, from this passage, that there is the deepest application to be made. Because the thought here is, Hast thou here any besides thyself. We can put the word in here, for that's the gist of what is being asked. Is there anybody else here besides yourself? When it comes to salvation, fleeing the fires of judgment, escaping the overthrow of divine vengeance, a man must attend to himself. First and foremost, his own salvation and relationship with God is his number one priority, to make sure that he's right with God himself. 
Judgment is looming over the city. God has already proposed and purposed its destruction. The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, was great, and their sin was very grievous. God told this to Abraham in chapter 18 and verse 20. And the term cry used by God actually means outcry. And so the thought here is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And I'm sure that that outcry came from many different sources. You can certainly say that God and His holy justice cried out against these cities. As God looked down upon that scene of, of grave depravity, His justice, His holiness was crying out for vengeance. I think we can also say that the multitude of victims in Sodom and Gomorrah, they must have cried out. Think about what these men wanted to do with the visitors that had come to, to Lot's home. They wanted to abuse them sexually. They wanted to rape these men. And that was going on in the city. The whole city was filled with this kind of activity. And undoubtedly, there were victims there, and they were crying out for vengeance. And I'm sure we can say any man with any decency and morality cried out, how long is this awful situation going to continue in this city and the cities of the plain? And this cry came up before God, and it was a cry for judgment. God's righteous anger was provoked. And there's only one thing that these cities deserved, and that was judgment. And so the angels in chapter 19 and verse 13 they say, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is very great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. For the very first time, Lot is learning about the mission of these angels to the city, these supernatural guests that had come to his home. They had come to Sodom, and they were on a destruction mission. Sodom was destined for judgment. Fire and brimstone must rain from heaven and destroy this place. But God wanted to spare Lot and his family. The angels were sent to rescue them from the awful destruction. And the question is asked, hast thou here any besides thyself? Lot is going to be delivered. Lot is going to be brought out. He's going to be saved from this very deluge. In a moment or two, the angels would grab him by the hand, and they would rush him out of the city to safety. Lot himself must attend to his salvation. The salvation here was from the fires of God's wrath. And of course, he's going to be saved. Now, Lot had already attended to the matter of his soul's salvation. In other words, he was already converted. He was already saved from the awful destruction that is eternal in time to come. Lot was a godly man. Uh, and you might think by reading this story, you might think otherwise. The history of Genesis tells us about a selfish, carnal, worldly man in the family of God, one brought up with the privileges of a godly home, one who had learned to worship at the altar, Oh, the sweet 
influences of Uncle Abraham. However, Lot went his own way, selfish, lustful, carnal, seeking the wealth of the world with its prosperity, popularity, and position. Remember, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then, as a family, they went to live there. And he gained prominence in that place. He did not get to that place of prominence by his righteous living. No, sir. Had he been living right, he would never have become one of the leaders of that place. Had he had a godly and a forthright testimony, he would never have risen to a place of authority. It's only when we read the account of the New Testament that we have certainty and clarity about his spiritual standing and his eternal well-being. And as Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 through to verse 8, that tells us this, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, God condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that that after should live ungodly and deliver just lot. doesn't mean just lot as an only lot. It means justified lot, righteous lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, God's speaking here, that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds but he was quiet about it. He didn't stand up for the Lord. He was so busy trying to promote himself and do well in business. He was so much after the gain of this world that though his soul was vexed by what he saw, he did nothing. He said nothing. It wasn't for the New Testament account here in 2 Peter chapter 2 we would probably account Lot to be damned. But the Old Testament does not speak about his, his godly testimony. My friends, one day Jesus is coming again. And he's coming, as the Bible tells us, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God will be poured upon this world. Jesus warns of eternal punishment in that place of eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And I wonder tonight, have you pondered the coming judgment? Have you thought about this place of outer darkness where the Bible says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? What about thyself? You personally, hast thou here any besides thyself? Have you attended to the matter of your soul's salvation? Are you in Christ? Are you saved by grace? Are you prepared for the great eternity of God? So there is this very personal word for us, this deepest application that can be made. But secondly, there is a dearest application. And I'm thinking here about the family in particular. Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters? Lot had a family living in the city of Sodom. We don't know 
how many members there were. We do know that he had two unmarried daughters in his home. We do know that he had sons-in-law. We presume that they had wives. They were other daughters of Lot. We assume also that he probably had sons living in that place. Lot is directed to inform his friends and his family about the coming destruction so that they too might be saved. Is there anybody else? The angels are asking. Have you got loved ones residing in this city? Are you concerned about your sons and your daughters? And even those that have married, your in-laws. If you have those living here in this doomed city, if you are troubled in your soul for them, go and tell them. That's the message here. Warn them about the coming destruction. What we read here implies that Lot had a solemn duty to do all he could for the salvation of those around him, to snatch them as brands from the burning. Those who, by the grace of God, are delivered themselves out of a sinful state and from a future judgment should do what they can to deliver others, especially those who are related to them. Oh, my dear friends, I cannot emphasize this enough. The solemn responsibility laid upon our shoulders to see to it that we bring our families to heaven, that we make sure that they escape the city of destruction. The message of Christ to the delivered demoniac is still the same. Return to thine own house and show how great things God has done for thee. I want to be like the patriarch Job who was concerned for his family. I want to be like Andrew, whose first business was to bring his brother, a family member, to Christ. I want the blessing enjoyed by the noble man of John chapter 4 and of Lydia in Acts chapter 16 and the Philippine jailer in that same chapter. I want household salvation. I want to bring my family to heaven. What about your son? What about your daughter? What about your aged parent? What about your brother, your sister? The judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. The fiery indignation of God will be poured out. The question is, hast thou here any besides? Is there anybody else? Are you concerned? Are you burdened? Are you anxious at all for their perishing soul? Are you telling them of Jesus, the mighty to save? Are you seeking earnestly their conversion? Are you doing all you can to rescue them? Do you weep over the erring one? Do you lift up the fallen? Do you tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save? Do you plead with them to be reconciled to God? What are you doing to bring your family to heaven? In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Evangelist visits Christian and urges him to leave the city of destruction and to head for the celestial city known as Mount Zion. And the first thing that Christian does was to beg his family to go with him. And I have to say at the start, unsuccessfully beg them and persuade them. What are you doing? Very sadly, Lot's efforts were unsuccessful. 
When the angel said, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters because we're going to destroy this place? It seems that Lot wakened up to reality. He came to his senses. You know, it's a pity that he hadn't wakened up before and been a good testimony previously to this. And he ran out and he found his sons-in-law and he urged upon them in verse 14, Up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. And I see him. I see him there pleading with his sons-in-law, maybe even weeping before them. Destruction is coming. It's at the door. It's about to fall. And you must flee this city. It was a most disappointing response. And yet, in some measure, we can understand why. He seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Oh, my friends, they made light of his warning. They didn't believe his message. They failed to heed the coming destruction, and so they perished in the overthrow. What an awful moment that must have been. I trust that we will not be mocked for the same reasons as Lot was. I trust that our testimony is not like Lot. I trust that we have not led our families into the things of the world and carnality which have taken over in their lives. Now is the time to win your family to Christ. Now is the time to witness to them. Now is the time to plead with them. Where are your footsteps leading them? What example are you giving to them? Hast thou here any besides? And there is this dearest application when we think of our family. I have one final little thought. There is the widest application. The world around us is lying in sin, doomed to destruction, facing the fires of eternal hell. What about them? The teeming multitudes. Have we no responsibility? Have we no burden? Have we no interest in them? Hast thou here any besides? It might be a son-in-law, it might be your sons, it might be your daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in this city. The angel said, bring them out of this place. May God broaden our vision for the lost in this town, this place where we live. We see them every day around the streets, in the houses and the homes of this place. May he broaden our vision even beyond the town for this province and then for the United Kingdom. Then we think of Europe. We think of the nations of the world. Can you not hear the tramp, tramp, tramp of the, the feet of lost souls rushing over the precipice into a lost eternity? May God help us. And may he help us to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying who are standing on the very verge of death and hell itself. Is there anybody else? We have to answer that question tonight. Yes, there, there are others. And some of them are in our families. And some of them are, are within our friendship circles. And some of them are our neighbors beside us and down the road. Some of them are the people that we work with, our young people. You go to school with them. They live in this community and they know not Christ and they're doomed to die forevermore without the Savior. 
and the destruction of God is coming. We need to waken up and face our responsibility now. Not when Lot faced his responsibility for his family. By and large, it was too late. Most of them died in the overthrow. Now is the time to attend to the salvation of others. May God give us grace and may give us a burden and a vision to do just that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bow in your presence and we thank thee for your word and for the challenge of it, for the burden of this passage of Scripture. So much to learn as we see a father who was not living the way that he should have been, who lost his wife in the overthrow, who lost many family members and others in the overthrow, his friends too. And Lord, when we think of even those that got out, the disgraceful way that they behaved as daughters that escaped, and the results of all that, it's a family really, that across that family is written, this is not the way to do it. This is not the way to live. This is not the way to conduct oneself in this life. Oh God, help us to make changes where changes need to be made. Help us, Lord, to reach the others besides. Help us, Lord, from this night onward to rescue men from the flames of a lost eternity, to bring them to Christ. And so we do pray for that wife, that husband, that son, daughter, our in-laws. We pray for mothers and fathers, some of them aged, other relatives, Lord, then friends around us. Help us to care for them. Help us to live right before them. Help us to win them, to woo them to the feet of the cross. For we know that one day we shall give an account. And one day the Lord will put us under his microscope at the great judgment. And Lord, we don't want the blood of those individuals to be in our hands because we failed in our duty to live right and to witness right. And should there be any live listening in, Lord, without thee, may they say to themselves, first and foremost, himself or herself, may they flee your wrath, may they get underneath the covering of the blood of Jesus, may they be reconciled to God this very night. Lord, bring them to the cross, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And if we can help you in any way, that's why we're here. And you can come and speak to us uh, tonight. You can ring me, text me. We'll get in touch with you if you're concerned about your soul. Don't leave it, my friends. Come to the Savior and come right away. Our sisters, I think, are going to come and play as the meeting comes to an end. Let me thank you sincerely for being part of our congregation tonight and worshiping here at Hebron. Amen. Amen.